Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, today we are talking about the 1987 sci-fi horror anime, Lily Cat. This was heavily inspired by Ridley Scott's Alien, and once we get into this, it'll be perfectly clear just how inspired by Alien it was. Unrated movie runs about 67 minutes and has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 55%. We are discussing the English dubbed version produced by Carl Macek, who also uh, is responsible for Robotech, Akira, and Captain Harlock, and the Queen of a Thousand Years. Big Captain Harlock fan. I love that that show. And And distributed by the now-defunct Streamline Pictures, and was later distributed by Discotech Media. Apparently there is a, so let me get this out of the way right off the bat. I am not an anime nerd. And so I'm going to miss stuff. Uh-huh. Absolute ignorance. That's I'm not my like only a, excuse. I'm not like a big anime nerd, but uh, like, yeah, when I was a teenager, like Akira came out. So there's like certain stuff. I like, like OVAs, like original video animations, like kind of like mini movies, you know, and, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm not like really big into like the serial stuff, but like I like the movies. The movies are especially in the 80s and the 90s, they were like really gritty, kind of tech noir like type, type stuff. So right. I, like I was into that stuff, but like uh, like later on, like kind of like what we got now and stuff, I'm I, I it's a hit or miss, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm aware that there are two very distinct hardline camps when it comes to anime, dubbed versus subbed. And I, I understand the arguments. I really do. The the Me subbed too. folks, the subbed folks say, well, with the with the with the dubbed dialogue, you lose some of the subtleties of the Japanese language. Well, I don't speak Japanese, so I lose all of the Japanese language. (laughs) I also hate reading movies. I love reading books, but I hate reading movies. Also, like after a couple of beers, those subtitles are just blurry as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine that's true, too. (laughs) That's why I'm a dub guy. So I'm like, I I mean, I, I like. Watching some subtitles, like if I'm really into it and like I really want to get like, you know, I don't know. I watch Ninja Scroll like it's subtitled, you know, and so like, but like, uh, yeah, if it's just like something I want to pop in and stuff, it really depends on who's doing the dub because you can get like some people in there and they're like absolute trash at it or you can get some people in there that are uh, like really professional or like my favorite is they're really professional at being trash at it. Yes. You know, they, they, Those they know, are awesome, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Those they know comedic timing and they know what's gonna work with the footage that they're using, you know. Well, when I first became aware of this 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 controversy between dubbed and subbed anime, I decided to check out, you know, just just how much difference is there. And so I started watching subtitled versions of Full Metal Alchemist side by side with a dubbed version of Full Metal Alchemist. And well, the English dub and the English subtitles were word for word. So I, I don't get it. And it's, I don't care like for anybody. You know, if you want to explain it to me, please don't. I'm not that interested. <laughs> but that's cool. you no, know, we're, we're watching a dubbed version today. Yeah. Story was written and directed by. Isayuki Toriyumi, known for Speed Racer, Getcha Man, and Battle of the Planets. And, you know, I, I just I went through IMDb and I found some stuff on folks. And I'm going to miss really important works. And I'm going to name some works that uh, nobody really cares about. And again, that's just because I don't know anime that well. I'm sorry, but hey, here we are. <laughs> it's Character cool. D- the people are- 
the people that are into it, they'll know what you're saying and stuff. It's this exactly, (laughs) exactly. Character designed by Yasuomi Umetsu, known for Akira, Grave of the Fireflies, and Mezzo DSA. Akira, badass. (laughs) There we go. Voice credits for Mike Reynolds as Captain Mike Hamilton. He was a voice actor from 1973 until 2004. Best known as the voice of General Ivar in VR Troopers and Captain Mutiny in Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. He also had no-name roles in Curb Your Enthusiasm and Twilight Zone. Uh, no name oh, roles man. like waiter number three and guy number two. Huh. Everybody does Power Rangers, man. Everybody does Power Rangers, and I don't blame them. Power Rangers are are campy fun. Yeah, hell yeah. Bob Bergen as Hiro Takaji. Currently, he is the current voice of Porky Pig for Looney Tunes car- uh, cartoons. That's messed up. <laughs> He's also voiced Marvin the Martian, Speedy Gonzalez, Sylvester Jr., and Tweety. And he was the voice of Luke Skywalker in a whole bunch of Star Wars video games. Nice. Hell yeah. Yeah. Julie Madalena as Nancy. She was an actor and she had is still an actor and voice actor since 1973. She appeared as Rachel in Children of the Corn. And she had voiced characters in Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost in the Shell, and I, Tenchi Muyo. Hell yeah. I watched Tenchi Muyo. Outlander! We have your woman, Outlander! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Children of the Corn, man. That's one of those movies, like, it sucks, but everybody's seen it, you know? Yes. They didn't watch the seven that came after that, but they watched the first one. I watched up till five, and then I was like totally disillusioned. I was like, "Oh, this, they're not even. There's not even corn, you know. It's like it's not even a field." It's just like, How you have children of the corn without corn? I don't know, okay. but part five tried to do it, and I was like, "I'm checking out." Finally, we have Gregory Snegoff as Dick Barry, who I'm going to refer to for the rest of this podcast episode as Dick Barry. I know, right? That. I don't know if that's something that like was lost in translation or like they was like, you know what, fuck it, this guy's a dick berry. And well either way in, we, we win in the end. In all fairness, he is a dick berry. Oh yeah, no. They <laughs> they, they totally gave this guy the name. He has voice credits in Wicked City, Golgo thirteen, and so many Robotech spinoffs. Yeah, there's a shitload of those. He also has a crew credit in Driving Miss Daisy, and he played reporter number three in Misery. Nice. Yeah. Movie opens with a Scooby-Doo-style scary black cat, and I love that bit. So we see the kind of a gold outline of a cat, and then lights come up, and it's an actual cat, and it arches his back, and he howls at at the camera. Yeah, it's followed. like real stylized, man. Uh, right. This is followed by a space shot of a very, very long spaceship, which it reminded me of the Discovery 1 in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. And it's just really, really long. Like, not only uh, is it a long spaceship, but it's like coming out of a longer thing. Space station is just like, I don't know, like needle coming out of a needle or some shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. On board the ship, the crew are preparing to enter hypersleep. They will be asleep for 20 years, but their bodies will only age a month. In the beginning, it says a year. Later on in the movie, it says a month. So I think it's actually a month. Yeah. So this anime is going to be, you know, inconsistent as hell. Right. Everybody's wearing swimsuits. All the women are wearing one-piece bathing suits. And Morgan Scott, the muscle-bound gun nut of the crew, is acting super pervy, checking out Nancy from behind as she bends over to take her cat Lily out of a little cat carrier. Nancy is the daughter of the company president, and she's there to assess the quality of their work. 
Morgan doesn't care for that idea much, but Nancy says having Lily with her is the same as him having his guns, but he thinks that his guns will be a lot more useful uh, if they encounter aliens compared to a cat. I don't I know, like, how do you get guns on a, on a fucking a spaceship? I thought that was like totally, like, you don't want guns in space at all. I, that's what I would think. You know, for the same reason, you don't want guns on airplanes. You don't want guns in space, but, yeah, you know. It's like a hundred times worse than in an airplane. But maybe it's like his teddy bear and he needs it to keep him, make him feel safe. It's an emotional support shotgun. I don't know. I'll, I'm having flashbacks right now of space truckers <laughs> and George <laughs> Went going through that damn window. <laughs> Well, Dick Barry is from the Australian office, and he explains with a whole bunch of scientific mumbo-jumbo about the planet that they're going to, which apparently means they're not likely to encounter anything larger than a flea. Morgan's okay with that. He says he'll just have to shoot low. Uh Jimmy has packed the company flag for the trip so they can plant it on the new planet. Morgan's not too pleased with that because I guess he just doesn't like corporate ass kissers. <laughs> I don't think anybody likes Jimmy, period. Right. Yeah, Jimmy's kind of uh kind of useless. One of the mechanics is complaining to Captain Mike about the passengers and their baggage, the guns, the cat, that sort of thing. Captain Mike explains that it's part of, just part of space travel, and he has a lucky charm that he's brought on every flight he's ever been on. And the mechanic then decides that he needs to take lessons on how not to put his foot in his mouth. <laughs> Captain Mike says they'll eventually need to deal with the quality of the engineers being hired these days. There's also a, a definite hierarchy to the people on this ship. There's the captain and his and his uh, crew, his two crewmates. And then there are these scientists sent to investigate the, the planet they're going to. And apparently, uh, scientist includes muscle-bound guy with a shotgun. <laughs> I don't know. They did it. For, it's like a multinational-like type thing. Right. So like you got the Australian guy and they give that guy way too many monologues. So you're going to be hearing like a really bad Australian accent a lot. And like the American guy, maybe he's an American scientist and he's in maybe. the science of guns or something, you know, because they, they did like everybody, like there's one Japanese guy and then one like the, I don't know, some European guy. I don't know what really where that guy's right. from. You know, like the chicks and like the Asian chick. And then like you got like a, a American chick. So, like, I don't know, yeah, it's like, they, like, did this multinational, like, hey, everybody sends a scientist on the space station type thing. Yeah, apparently there's, there's a corporation, a global conglomerate, and they brought people from all over the world to go on this mission, and they just contract with some, somebody to, to fly the spaceship. Because, well, Captain Mike says something about uh, they work for the company, And he's just there to be their taxi driver. Pretty much, yeah. Captain Mike then reveals that this is probably going to be his last mission. When they get back to Earth, he's going to retire. And we see the ship flying through space as the opening credits roll. The ship is quiet. The entire crew are in their hypersleep chambers, including the cat. The cat has a little bed with a blanket that it's sleeping on. Everybody else is suspended in big people aquariums. Yeah, Man. that's a funny sequence. Like, cause like the cat's like got this Garfield moment where he's just like laying on his bed, and above him the <laughs> credits are scrolling. So it kind of yeah. looks like a Garfield made-for-TV movie at that point, but really high animation production. Oh yeah, the animation on this is fantastic. Yeah, I think that's why I really like this movie is because, well, one, the aliens influence and two, just the trippy visuals of this movie is just like so cool. So it's like, even if you're not following the story, you're just enjoying what you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we started off with some Scooby-Doo like stuff and then we got the, you know, your typical anime. But as it goes along and as this story gets more intense, 
the the animation and the color schemes are going to get a whole lot better. Yeah. And then we see a computer terminal light up with an emergency call to Captain Mike from the Sincan Corporation. We don't know what the call is. We just see that while everybody's asleep, an emergency message comes through for him. Now, remember, they're going to be asleep for 20 years. So it will be, depending on when this message came through, several years before they can respond to this emergency. And to them, it's like they took like a three-month nap or something. Yeah. There's an exterior shot of the ship while steering rockets turn the ship as it nears the planet. Retro rockets fire, slowing the ship down, and lights start coming on inside the ship. Message appears on a computer terminal stating that a floating object is approaching, and it appears to be a living body. The ship then initiates instruction 0315, collect it. It appears that the corporation has a plan to take advantage of opportunities that appear along the way to the planet they're headed to. Just like an alien. <laughs> yeah. So the ship computer opens up an airlock on a cargo bay and activates a manipulator arm to catch rocks that are floating in space near the ship. And as the manipulator arm brings the space rock into the ship, it accidentally smashes into a ventilation duct, slicing it open. And the rock just kind of gets sucked in. Good. Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's okay if we have guns on board the spaceship. The spaceship's going to do enough damage to itself without the guns helping. It's like you just got out of like a three-month nap. Or not, not, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, 20-something years, but to you it's three months. And then the first thing I deal with is, oops, I hit something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, fuck me, man. Well, the rock tumbles through the ventilation ducts, traveling through the ship until it lands in some water storage tanks and dissolves. Meanwhile, the cat is no longer in hypersleep. It turns out the cat is awake and roaming the ship the way a cat will do. Of course. You see something moving in the shadows toward it, and before we can see what happens, computer terminal flashes a message that 20 years and one month Earth time have elapsed. It's time to wake everybody up. The crew is all coming out of hypersleep and being blow-dried. That's convenient. After 20 years suspended in the hypersleep people aquariums, I imagine their toes are pretty wrinkly, but <laughs> it doesn't seem to bother them. The ship has arrived at the target planet, and everybody's waking up. Everybody's all pruny. <laughs> Nancy finds Lily, and Watt, meanwhile, Watt tells Captain Mike that everybody's awake and well. Captain Mike wants to push back the start time of the landing party since everybody's kind of groggy. Instead, they're going to use some unmanned probes to gather info about the planet's surface. While they're doing that, the crew discovers an emergency message they received almost 20 years earlier from Earth from the SINCAM personnel manager. Turns out they have two imposters on board the ship, but the message ends before the personnel manager can give their name. But, dun, dun. but not before he tells the captain that these people are very dangerous. So there's that. Plot thickened. I know. The crew discuss how, they, how this could have happened, um, and it's pretty obvious. You know, Syncam is a huge multinational corporation. And there's no possible way that everybody could know everybody else that works there. They decide that this all happened because somebody exited hypersleep before everybody else to erase the message. But they were, they were up against a time crunch, so they weren't able to erase all of the message. They were only able to erase the end of the message. And while they're trying to de determine the motivation for this, they decide the imposters must be time jumpers. They are criminals who will sneak on board a 40-year space flight and return to Earth long after anybody stopped caring about the crime they committed. Like summer camp for criminals or something. Right. I'll just disappear for 40 years. In the blink of an eye. Just plop. 
Well, the corporation employees led by Dr. Mead arrive on the bridge and Captain Mike gives a summary of where they are and what they need to do to find potential mining materials on the planet. He's interrupted by one of the one of his crew who tells him about an AC leak in the cargo bay. The captain sends Takaji from the Tokyo office and Morgan from the Austra- from the Australian office. Off with one of his engineers, Dular, to investigate. Dick Barry's going to hold Morgan's guns for him while he does this. <laughs> the funny thing is, I actually wrote it all out as one word here. It's just Dick Barry. Dick Barry. We ought to have like a <laughs> drinking game where every time you hear Dick Barry, you got to take a shot. Yeah, we're going to have some loopy people before this episode's over. <laughs> <laughs> In the mess hall, everybody's eating breakfast and discussing various science projects. One of the engineers tells the captain that the manipulator arm tore the hole in the AC duct, and it must have been reprogrammed while they were asleep. Captain Mike is wondering which of the corporation folks are the imposters, and when his engineers start discussing ways to find out which one is the imposter, he tells them to leave it alone and respect everybody's right to privacy. Didn't mean for you guys to hear that. He's interrupted when Lily Cat goes off on Morgan, who was apparently messing with the cat, so it scratched his nose. And Cat runs off to Takaji, who cl- calms the cat down and hands her back to Nancy. Cut to a shot of Morgan walking through the ship. It's been empty for the last 20 years. And he's walking through these corridors. It's a huge, massive ship. And it's got like 12 people on board. Yeah, and no, like no, uh, like vehicles or none to go down these corridors. Uh, so you gotta walk the entire length of the ship. Gotta walk the whole length of the ship. Yeah, at least like if it's the Jetsons, they'd have like a I don't know some kind of moving track or something you just stand on. Star Trek has its elevators, but nah, these guys just gotta walk everywhere. They Probably Jeffrey's tubes all over the damn thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the same way in Red Dwarf. You know, they gotta walk all over that huge ship. Too. Oh yeah. But, like, Red Dwarf, like, is a giant ship, but it's, like, what, four hallways and stuff? Right. And I think they had, like, a, like a vehicle, like, one time or something. I don't know. That Lister show had is a like, motorcycle like, at one point. Yeah, they'll just write stuff in just for that one episode. <laughs> oh, man, I want to go back and watch Red Dwarf. Yeah, Mike, you do this every time. <laughs> We talk about space stuff, and you say something about Red Dwarf, and then, like, I'm on YouTube the next couple of nights watching Red Dwarf. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but if you've got a good VPN, Channel Dave is streaming free in England as long as you live in England. So you use a VPN to make it look like you're in England, and you make an account, and you can stream every rep- rep- episode of Red Dwarf on Channel Dave. Nice. Yeah. But don't go out and do that. <laughs> you could do that. You could do that. They could stop you if you wanted. That's all I'm yeah. going to say there. Morgan's walking through the ship, and as he walks down a dark corridor, he hears something moving behind him. We're not going to find out what. It's going to immediately cut back to Captain Mike, giving him his crew instructions to prepare one of the landing vehicles. As two guys are walking through the ship to do that, They are discussing who the time jumpers might be. They think it's probably Morgan and Jimmy. They disappear around a corner, and then one of them screams and runs back to hit an alarm button. They have found the dead body of Morgan lying in the corridor. And up above them in the ceiling, Lily Cat is watching. In the medical bay, Dr. Mead says that Morgan suffocated because his lungs are full of bacteria he says it looks just like legionnaire's disease unfortunately these appear to be alien bacteria since the ship was sterilized before they left earth so mike splits everybody up into pairs to search the ship to find out where the alien bacteria came from the cat is also patrolling the ship this this is a serious business cat jesse oh yeah this cat is no joke. Uh, also, I like how it goes from aliens to the thing in like one fell swoop. Right. 
It's like you were like, you know, oh, there's going to be an alien on this ship. And he's going to be taking them off one by one and stuff. And it's like you, you think aliens because everything the set up, you know, the art style, the ships and stuff. You kind of think about that. But then, oh, no, it's alien bacteria. And one right. of us isn't supposed to be here or two of us isn't supposed to be here. And you're like, this is awesome, you know. Right. Back on the bridge, Mike catches Dick Barry poking around in the ship's computer. He says he was checking for messages from his family, but he happened to find the message about imposters on board the ship. Well, as they argue about whether the imposters or the alien bacteria is more important, they are interrupted by a message summoning the captain to sick bay because Dr. Mead is dead. The doctor looked kind of like Wilford Brimley. Yeah. Again, like the thing... Uh... Yeah, he's like just uh, well, with like long hair, like he was a hippie, but he's right. got the walrus mustache and like the nose and the ears. Yeah, in the sick bay, it looks like Mead has also suffocated. Of course, the cat is here listening to the conversation. Cut to the ship crew interviewing each person trying to identify the imposters. They start with Fala Van Dorothy. She is 23 and apparently got pregnant while she was at college. Something that she didn't want people knowing, but Dick Berry just told everyone. <laughs> what a dick. I know. Mike calls Carolyn to ask about the status of the transport ship. Guy and Watt were supposed to be running a diagnostic on it, but nobody's heard from him. So Mike goes to the bridge to look at surveillance video from the hangar and discovers Guy and Watt. They're both dead. This crew is dropping like flies, but then yeah, they've only yeah, got man. 67 like... minutes, so they got to go through them fast. Right. Yeah. This is a short movie. Mike tells the crew they're going to miss the first landing site because of this. It's three hours until they reach the next landing site. And as he says all of this, Lily Cat wanders off. Nancy asks Hiro Takaji to go with her to find the cat. Meanwhile, they're going to continue interviewing each person about their background to try to find the imposters. Dick Barry is the last to leave the medical bay, and as he does, a boot falls off one of the beds, and the foot that was in that boot is gone. Cut to Hero and Nancy walking through the corridors looking for the cat. Hero's staring at Nancy and says, If she were alive today, she'd be about your age now. Nancy asks him what he said, and he decides they need to split up and look for the cat. Nancy thinks she hears something and sees Lily walking down an intersecting corridor, so Nancy chases after her. Meanwhile, Dick Barry is questioning the rest of the crew. Apparently, Jimmy was placed on probation for drug possession in high school. He claims that was a different guy named Jimmy, and the record is a clerical error. His name is Jimmy Hengel, and the other Jimmy is Jimmy Mangle. And the school was making that mistake all the time, apparently. Dude, that happens to me so much. You don't even know. Right. Right. I'm going to space. I mean, your name I is know. Jesse Stratton with two T's. And that jerk face that kept causing all the trouble was Jesse Stratton with one T. <laughs> also, he has an E-N at the end. So it's like, man. Yeah. It comes before me in the phone book and stuff. I can't take it no more. I'm going to space. <laughs> Hero, who had been looking for Lily Cat with Nancy, comes running into the room to tell the captain that the bodies have all banished, vanished from the sick bay. In the sick bay, they pull the sheets off the beds, revealing, sure enough, no bodies, just clothes. Hero explains that he was in here looking for the cat. Dorothy sees the cat leaving the sick bay just as alarms sound elsewhere in the ship. Everybody runs to see what's happening, and Nancy is upset about something and banging on the wall of the ship. The crew arrive in time to see possibly the most horrifying scene in this entire movie. It's Lily Cat being ripped apart as she's pulled through a small hole in the wall. Yeah. And like they really build tension for this because, like, all the death and violence so far has been off screen. You just get the aftermath. Right. And then you see this and it's like, that's like the first violent content. And you're like, that's fucking gross. That's dark. It, it's, it's very dark. The, for the front half of the cat is hanging out through the hole in the wall. Cat is howling in pain. 
and its eyes bulge, its skin splits open. You can see its backbone and ribs, and it gets ripped apart as it's pulled through the hole. Apparently, the bacteria that every, that is attacking everybody has eaten a hole through the wall, even though the wall is made entirely of something called super alloy, which should be impervious to anything. Hero can hear something going on inside the wall. Inside the wall, what looks like a bundle of strings is growing and expanding. Well, Mike decides to seal the cargo block due to the bacterial infection and evacuate everyone to the bridge. Once they get on the bridge, the cargo block is disconnected from the ship and launched into space where it explodes, hopefully destroying the bacteria. But we're only about halfway through the movie, so that's probably not what happened. (laughs) They are approaching the second landing site now as Mike's crew leaves to prepare a landing vehicle. Dick Barry wants to continue questioning people. The only people left to question are Nancy and Hero. Since Nancy's daddy runs the corporation, she is, of course, outraged. Cut to Dorothy wandering off by herself. She has accessed a computer terminal in the sick bay and undresses to give herself a chest x-ray. Apparently, she's worried about the health of her lungs after all these people were suffocated by the bacteria. And I would be, too. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty smart about it. You know, it's like, well, you know, checklist, you know, time to do the thing. Exactly. She seems relieved after seeing the x-ray, but then there are some spooky noises coming from inside the wall. As she gets out from the x-ray table, pink tendrils shoot out and wrap around her ankles and her throat, lifting her up into the air. Because anime. Because anime, yeah. That's what tentacles do in anime. That's just the way it works. I don't even know where they came from, man. They just appear. Yeah, they just shot out of the wall or something. Yeah. Dick Barry has finished questioning Nancy. Jimmy wonders, what if this is all a misunderstanding based on bad information? That's when they notice Dorothy is gone. Hero thinks she might be in the sick bay, but before they can investigate, the hangar doors start to open and the bridge controls are disconnected. This is a problem because Dular and Walt are still in the hangar preparing the landing vehicle. Mike uses the intercom to tell him to evacuate, but it's too late and the doors continue to open and stuff is getting sucked out, including all of the landing vehicles and the two uh, mechanics. Oh, they're they're proper fucks now. They, yeah, they have. I mean, they're just stranded. They're stranded on board this infected ship. They just watched these two mechanics get sucked out and, you know, they did the whole vacuum bulging eyes thing. And, and yeah, it was a mess. For some reason, the hangar portion of the ship just gets jettisoned and explodes. A computer terminal somewhere displays a message saying the desertion of the contaminated block is complete. Message on the screen is seen reflected in what looks like a mechanical cat's eye. Yeah, I like how they did that. It was like really uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Like every once in a while, you you get like these uh, robot optical like click things and then be like just in between like dialogue and shit right yeah that reminds me of how a lot it was awesome yeah it is very heavily inspired by how i think well the camera pulls back and we see the communication on the on the computer screen in front of a chair but we can't see anybody sitting in that chair which we only see the chair from behind it doesn't mean nobody's there and there's some more communication appearing on the screen Uh, Apparently, the computer is called Mother, and it just says, Question to Mother, did we succeed in stopping the invasion of the unknown bacteria? And a minute later, a response appears on the screen stating the bacteria now controls the fifth block of the ship. So they haven't got rid of this yet. That's fucked. I know. The crew, led by Captain Mike, are at a locked door. They can't get the door open. Dickberry thinks Dorothy might be in there, but Hero is positive that she isn't. Dickberry's real suspicious of Hero and wants to know how he knows so much about what the crew are doing and why are you always turning up when you know with such uncanny timing. Hero takes them all to the sick bay where Dorothy is gone, but her clothes have been left behind on the x-ray table. Hero tells him that she was doing 
She was using the x-ray scanner to check her lungs for bacterial infection. He knows this because he did the exact same thing. He tries to explain this by saying that the Dr. Mead told him a story about veterans all getting Legionnaire's disease transmitted through the air conditioning ducts at a hotel, just like the damaged air conditioning duct on this ship. And he just wanted to make sure he was in the clear. Smart guy, that hero. Yeah. Hero seems to have extensive medical knowledge, which Dick Berry finds very interesting. And Hero says, it's a hobby. It's a hobby. I'm a doctor as a hobby. Uh, I'm actually a space engineer. On weekends, I run a surgical clinic. You know, it's a hobby. Doctor doctor hobby. (laughs) Yeah, Dick Berry's not buying this either because the company record says that he specializes in space engineering, not medicine. And that's when Hero figures out that Dick Berry is also not an employee of the company. He's a detective trying to find Hero because Hero shot three people and snuck on board the starship to escape prosecution for 40 years. Dun, dun, dun! This is really like a suspenseful movie. Like, you just keep on, it's like, dun, dun, dun. So you got all the stuff on the thing. You got the, the parasite. You, you got, like, uh, whatever's killing people. And then you got, like, uh, this whole, you know, uh, bounty hunter-like story and stuff. And it's like, what the hell is going on? It's just layer on top of layer on top of layer, and it makes for an interesting story. Yeah, and it, it needs to do that because, like, the some of the voice performances is bland as hell. So it's like if you don't go to sleep, you know, you got to have <laughs> something to invest in. <laughs> Trippy visuals yeah. and like uh, kind of cool story hooks are pretty, you know, up there. Right. Well, Dick Barry thanks Hero for his confession and arrests him. By handcuffing Hero to himself, you know, they're they're handcuffed together now for the rest of it. You know, nobody ever thinks he'll use my own arm to choke me out if I handcuff myself. They're just going to be joined at the wrist now. Well, I think that like every day. (laughs) That's why I don't carry handcuffs, man. It's just because, you know, they're more of a hindrance, really. Yeah. Well, Captain Mike can't intervene in the arrest, so he warn he warns Dick Barry that he might have bacteria in his lungs. <laughs> Dick Barry doesn't mind dying if it means bringing a killer to justice, and Captain Mike reminds him he's far too young to go out like that. We're about to add another layer here, Jesse. Oh man, no, I can't get the layers of Inception in this movie. <laughs> This is when we get into the uncon- unintended consequences of space flight. You know, they're in hypersleep for 20 years at a time and only age about a month each time. That's why it turns out the captain's two, over 240 years old by Earth reckoning. All of his crew are somewhere between 150 and 175 years old, he tells them. And there's a discussion of how their friends and family are all dead by the time they get back to Earth and the, and the world moves on without them. And Captain Mike then explains just how futile life will be for Dick Barry when they return to Earth. When he gets back, he's captured the criminal, but he's not going to be the hero because everybody who cared about it is long gone. The only record of it is in a computer that will not congratulate him. Yeah, uh, like... Uh... The whole world probably just hates them. They're like a relic and shit. Yeah. Captain Mike is an awesome buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> He's real <laughs> stoked. He looks like Space Abraham Lincoln or some shit with that beard and shit. Right. Well, Nancy is pondering this when she sees something move. It looks like Dorothy, but then the head splits into two people and a cat. And then the bacterial tentacles are revealed. The bacteria has assimilated the bodies of everybody that it's killed. Dick Barry gets scared and he fires a shotgun at the bacteria monster. Problem with that is it overwhelms the gravity generators and sends him flying backwards across the room, handcuffed to Hero, where he smashes into a wall and knocks himself out. Good going, Dick Barry. Nice. <laughs> 
Mike takes Jimmy and Carolyn to try to get control of the ship while Hero wakes up Dickberry. And then we get to see the mechanical cat eye in the control room again. There are more conversations appearing on the screen. There's a question for Mother. Is it possible to stop the bacteria? Mother responds, no answer, still figuring. A strange fact has come up. So we don't know if we can survive this now. Mike and Jimmy are preparing to get some welding equipment and cut the cut through the control room door. Um, in order to do this, they have to leave Carolyn all by herself. Meanwhile, whatever is inside the control room is getting a damage report, and the bacteria looks like it has eroded almost all of the ship at this point. There's a shot of Caroline wandering through the hallways when she finds a hole eroded in the wall, and she that watches. Shot. It is a really creepy shot. It's like rotoscope, so it's like a first-person video game, and it's like it's so unnerving and creepy, but so like beautiful at the same time. And then yeah, yeah. she she gets to the door, and the door starts just slowly corroding, peeling away. It's like just nightmarish, you know. Yeah, the bacteria. She watches as the bacteria monster is watching her through the hole in the wall. In one of the cargo bays, Jimmy and Mike are gathering up equipment to cut through the door, and Jimmy is going on and on and on about how much he regrets ever coming on this ship, which is understandable. Half the crew is dead now. Yeah. <laughs> he said the only reason he came on this trip is because his boss recommended him, and he was so pleased that his boss paid any attention to him that he just had to do it because he thought he could come back a hero and he could surely get the promotion that he was due after that right right okay <laughs> in the medical bay dick Barry says he's lost the keys to the handcuffs so he can't take them off now Nancy's there with him she wants to know the story of why hero killed those three people Hero explains that they took advantage of his sister, got her hooked on drugs, and then started pimping her out. And eventually she died, whether it was somebody killed her or she died from a drug overdose, we don't really know. But Hero found out about this and he shot the three people who were responsible for her death. Then he switched places with a company employee who had a very similar name, just like happened to Jimmy. <laughs> but yeah, he switched places with somebody he knew who had a very similar name so that he could go on this mission and just disappear for 40 years. Back at the control room, Mike and Jimmy are looking for Carolyn. When Mike tries to cut through the door, Jimmy finds that mysterious hole in the wall and Jimmy gets attacked by the bacteria monster. At the same time, Mike manages to cut through the control room door, only to discover they have been locked out this whole time by the damn cat. Dun, dun, dun. The cat attacks Mike, and he shoots it with the flamethrower, revealing that it's not actually a cat. It's a robot. Robot cat. <laughs> oh, man. His fur is all singed up, and you can see the mechanical workings, and then the faceplate just kind of drops a little bit and hangs there off its head. Yeah, it's gruesome. It's like a Cat Terminator or some shit. Yeah, or Cat Westworld. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the cat is severely damaged with his face falling off, like I said, and it runs out of the control room. Mike can see the diagram of the bacterial infection on the screen, and he asks the mother computer if they can stop it. Computer says, don't know. He says, can we return to Earth? He says, I don't know. And then the mother computer informs Mike that it is now under control of the master and doesn't have to do what he says anymore. <laughs> Mike asks who the master is. Or Mike asks, what, what does that mean? And the mother computer says an accident occurred. And due to strictly confidential instructions that I can't tell you about, only the master can give the com ship computer orders now. Mike asks who the master is. It turns out the master is a computerized, animal-shaped, technological robot, C-A-T. And it is named Lily Cat. They made a robot copy of Nancy's cat and put it in charge of the ship. That's messed up. If, if you own cats, 
I got cats. You got a cat. I got a cat. How much would your life suck if your cat was in charge of? Well, your cat is in charge of everything. So are mine. Yeah, my cat's in charge. <laughs> oh man, that cat gives me hell like constantly. So yeah, I can see this happening totally. Yeah. Mike runs back to sick bay, tells Nancy, Hero, and Dick Barry that Jimmy and Caroline are missing. The entire area is infested, and they need to get to the bridge. As they're trying to escape, they end up in a hallway that is being attacked by the bacteria. This whole place has got like this dark, dark funk growing all over it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Stranger Things, that like upside down world. It's just like, yeah. Opposite of like the clean spaceship you were once on, now it's like just grimy submarine like looking shit. And of course, in order to get to the bridge, they absolutely must go through this hallway. There are no, there's no other way to get there. Mm-mm. Well, the bacteria monster, which looks like a giant multi-headed spider with lots of gross pink tentacles, bursts through the wall to attack them. And the four of them run for it, chased by the bacteria monster. Mike uses his flamethrower torch to attack the monster so they can escape. Once they're clear, Mike tells Nancy about the cat robot and how it's always been in charge. Turns out the company wanted to replace people with robots that don't get tired, always follow orders, don't ask questions, and don't need to be fed. Back in the control room, the computer tells the cat robot, who has walked back in there, by the way, that there are four people still alive and there is no chance that they will return to the control room. Meanwhile, Dick Barry is in distress. He's still handcuffed to Hero, and it looks like he's starting to have a seizure, but then his head just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, great, now I'm handcuffed to a dead guy with no head. That's just, oh, that's peachy. Well, when when this all started, Hero gave a mighty yank and just ripped Dick Barry's hand off. So he's free now. But the bacteria ate Dick Barry's body, leaving only his clothes behind. And then the bacteria escaped through the ceiling. Hero explains that the monster is recycling the bodies of of the people it killed. And when he's going through Dick Barry's clothes, he finds out he didn't lose the handcuff key. What a jerk. (laughs) Meanwhile, the ship is ejecting and destroying infected parts of itself. Hero decides the only thing left to do is kill themselves before they starve or get killed by the bacteria. That's when we find out Nancy came on this trip because somebody stole her boyfriend and she was going to get revenge by coming back to Earth 40 years later, still looking young and cute. What because, an entitled piece of crap. Yeah. Really badly written female character, I think. It's just it like, you know, she was like the owner's daughter of like the company and shit. And that's the reason why she's in space. Not to like get back at her dad or anything. Just, you know, boy shit. Yeah. That is hell, man. Superficial, silly girl writing. Yeah, it's bad character design there. Well, Hero is about to blow his brains out. But Mike tries to talk him out of it. Mike explains they can still get back to Earth because the bacteria is repelled by the magnetic field generated by the drive system. Then he says, well, we can't get back to Earth, but maybe they can survive on the planet they're orbiting. So Mike decides to take Hero and Nancy to his good luck charm. His good luck charm just happens to be a space shuttle. That's pretty lucky, yo. Yeah, I mean, he had it on his first ship, on his first uh, flight, and he has taken it with him on every mission since then. Space shuttles are big. It's not like, you know, a rabbit foot or fuzzy dice that you hang from the rearview mirror. That's a hell of a good luck charm. It's massive. Yeah, but that means it's really lucky. Okay, I got you. (laughs) Plenty of room for extra luck in the storage bay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) but mike isn't going with hero and nancy he wants them to escape and survive he is going after lily cat he will not let the corporation benefit from their deaths as hero and nancy prepare to leave the bacteria tentacles are headed into the hangar bay toward the shuttle mike has found a back way through 
panels in the wall to an area where he opens up a hydrogen release valve, which fills the ship with hydrogen gas, but it also cripples himself. Hero and Nancy manage to get the shuttle started and escape the ship, and as they do, Mike takes out his Zippo and strikes it, igniting the hydrogen and blowing up the entire ship and Lilycat. Meanwhile, the shuttle enters the planet's atmosphere. The heat of entry burns up the giant bacteria monster clinging to the outside of the shuttle, killing it. And Hero and Nancy arrive on the Earth-like planet that they've been orbiting this whole time. Hero's getting philosophical, saying something about their metamorphosing into a new life, and the future is completely unknown to them. And roll credits. Roll credits. It was a journey. (laughs) It was. The good thing about it is there weren't any loose ends. They wrapped up all the storylines, and that's kind of rare for movies that we watch. Yeah, it it did have like a nice like uh, act structure and stuff. I liked it. Uh, the the some of the voice performances are really bad, and then like. Also, I guess it's like a problem with a lot of anime, especially in this time period. The pacing's weird, you know? Yeah. But all in all, like the visuals is cool and the story hooks, like the, the plot hooks were like pretty cool. I just, I hated some of the characters and like some of the dialogue. I wish they would have jazzed it up a bit. Yeah, yeah. They could have taken an extra 20 minutes or added an extra 20 minutes to this and slowed the movie down in points to really make the characters more believable and relatable. But yeah, because they mostly are just like, uh, what do you call it? They're just like spelling everything out for you and shit. Right. You know, they're not really any character development. It's like this, you know, this is what's happened in the story so far. And this is stuff that you need to know that's going to happen in the next scene. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And somebody's going, you? well, Why are you- yeah, well, somebody's going, well, what, what, what are you talking about? They spent like three and a half minutes at the beginning of the show introducing every character. <laughs> but and we, could, we could do with a little more development because they were very one-dimensional. But then again, it was also a cartoon. Yeah, it was a cartoon. And it's like that doing that, the animation and like, you know, just it's almost like there's too much stuff in the movie to like actually like focus on because you got so much stuff you're focusing on. Yes. But like, I don't know. I dig it. It's good. Like, uh, I don't know. You're you don't feel good or something. You're sick. Get some call surf to get the copy of this movie and just kind of like pass out on the couch. Just- yes. This is a movie to watch with a can of raviolis and a bottle of Robitussin. Yes, most definitely. (laughs) All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Thank you.